0: It's time for our first uh, preaching session of the conference. During this conference, in the mornings, we're going to be going through a book of the Bible together. The first session each day, we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy. And uh, today, we'll be starting at 2 Timothy chapter 1. But who better to introduce uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 than than Timothy uh, himself, well, almost Timothy, <laughs> A Timothy. Timothy Blaber. We all love Timothy. Many of you know him. He's based in Winchester. Before that, he was in, in Portsmouth, uh, working hard there at Christ Central Portsmouth. He's now based in Winchester at Hope Church, but actually is working most of his week for commission as our Director of Training. He's been running amazing courses for us. Can we give it up for the fantastic Tim Blaber? <laughs> Steve, and uh, thank you everyone. It is such a joy to be here today and to see this room packed, full of people. Hopefully you've turned to 2 Timothy. Can I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy? And as you do, I do just want to draw our attention back to the prophetic words that have come. I felt so stirred as Guy brought that word over us about sheep being drawn together by our good shepherd and then hearing the other words which came, which were all along a similar line of, God sees you as you are today. God's got a collective work he's wanting to do for us as a family of churches, but there's a particular and unique work he's wanting to do in each of our hearts. I feel personally a tremendous sense of my own inadequacy and vulnerability in this moment, and so reading through 2 Timothy chapter one has been nothing short of a God-sent encouragement (laughs) for me. And as a family of churches, we sit under the Word of God. And we're a people who love God's Word. We love to hear God speak to us. I love this family of churches. Do you love this family of churches? I love who we are. I love where we've come from. I love that in this room, as I look around, Uh, the crowd before me, there are so many stories of adventure, of pioneering, of labor, of risk-taking, of endurance, of pioneering into new situations and new nations. And I believe that God is doing a wonderful work amongst us today and wants to do a great work amongst us into the future. There's that great Old Testament prophecy that says the latter glory of this house shall, be, shall not be greater than the former, shall be greater than the former. There's a work that God's doing in these late days of his people that's gonna be far greater than anything that's come before. That prophecy is spoken over the whole church. We know that there is a day coming which is gonna be spectacularly glorious as God gathers his people, his sheep from every nation, tribe, and tongue. But I want to claim that for us as a family of churches here as well. And I wonder, as you project forward and think about who we are in 5, 10, 20 years' time, I wonder what's the big question that you have? For me, the big question genuinely isn't, I wonder how many churches will be. My big question is, I wonder if we'll be as faithful to the gospel then as we as we have been and as we are today. As I look forward, I'm wondering, Lord will be as committed to the apostolic teaching that we've inherited then as we are today and have been? And it's for that reason that we're going through 2 Timothy as God, I believe, would want to speak to us, exhort us, challenge us, commission us again with a brilliant, wonderful gospel message. Let's listen to these words together. 2 Timothy chapter one, we'll read the whole chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. When I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now I am convinced is also in you. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including phygellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me, May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. This is the word of God to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, as your people, gather here to listen to your words. We thank you for their timeless truth and power for your church. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't rely today upon the words of men, but we build our lives and we build our churches upon the rock of ages. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our path. And we wanna receive this challenge today with humility but with courage to guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to us. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, and to the glory of Jesus Christ, your son. I pray help us today, and would you help me? Amen. 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 This is the last letter that we have from the Apostle Paul. He writes this letter from his prison dungeon. He has obviously spent many, many years now faithfully preaching good news, going from place to place and declaring the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death. And he has suffered incredibly in the process. The Apostle Paul's ministry is marked by some of the most extreme suffering of any Christian. And he has, over the years, cultivated these relationships built upon this common faith in Jesus Christ, built upon foundations of truth, built upon a vision for a glorious and beautiful church. And as he's gone from place to place, he has entrusted the responsibility for the care of these churches and for the declaration of the gospel to men and to women in the hope that what God has started, he's faithful to complete. And he writes this letter from the dark, dank, cold environment of his dungeon. And he has been deserted by all of his friends. And he's alone. And in this place of what you would think was misery, he draws upon a memory of his faithful son who he loves. He thinks of Timothy, my dearly loved son. What a privilege for Timothy to have been mentored by the Apostle Paul, for Timothy to receive this letter in the first place. And so these words, these final words of the Apostle Paul before he is martyred and killed, of course, come with a tremendous weightiness. A tremendous weightiness. What would be resonant for him? What would be the thing that he most wants to impress upon his young mentor as it was he hands over the responsibility of the church to another generation as he thinks forward what will the next years and decades and here we are 2000 years on what will the church be like what would his priority be and so on the one hand this letter is very personal to timothy And yet on the other hand, of course, it's in scripture and it's a letter for us here today. And so just as you get the sense of his deep affection for Timothy, our Lord God would want you and I to receive the sense of his deep, the Lord's deep affection for us. So as Paul starts reading this letter and he's overwhelmed by this love that Paul had for him, as we go through this letter, I believe that our Father in heaven would want you and I to feel that sense of you're beloved. You're deeply loved. Do you know how cherished you are? How precious you are? How much affection your God has for you? That's who our God is, our Father in heaven. So it's very personal, but it's a letter for the churches. One Timothy, which had come just before, Paul stated in chapter three, verses 14 to 15, the intention of this letter. He says, I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But, I should be, but should I be delayed, I've written, so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. Everything that Paul's gonna go on to say in 2 Timothy about guarding the good deposit about being faithful to sound teaching, about guarding this apostolic teaching, so much of that is what he has written in 1 Timothy. So these two letters very much go side by side. So how would he begin this letter? Well, the formality of the the opening greeting is again an indication that whilst this is a personal letter, it's also for the church, and his intention was that it would be read to the church. But he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, listen, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. For the sake. Why is he an apostle? I am appointed as an apostle for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. All of Paul's apostolic ministry, all of his preaching and his teaching, all of his letters, every rebuke that he brings to the church in Galatia, or correction that he brings to the church in Corinth, or the theology of the church, the letter of the church to Rome, all of these letters and all of his ministry has this one overarching purpose, which is for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And that is why commission exists. We exist as a family of churches for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And if we don't exist for that, then we're wasting our time altogether. The Apostle Paul, as he is contemplating his imminent martyrdom and death, it should be little surprise that his mind and his heart turns again to the victory of Jesus Christ over the grave, to the victory of Jesus Christ over sin, to the victory of Jesus Christ over judgment. And so we must take his words, these words of correction and these words of rebuke and of exhortation, we must take these words really seriously because the objective of 1 Timothy is not just that we might have slightly nuanced theology in our churches, The objective of 1 Timothy and the objective of 2 Timothy is that we might declare to a people who are suffering, still lost in their sins, still under condemnation and judgment, that we might declare Jesus Christ has risen and conquered the grave. That we might declare the promise of life in Christ who has come that we would have it abundantly for the sake of that promise. So every theological dispute, every hypocritical leader, every compromise is a crack that must be addressed for the sake of this gospel message. We are committed to training and teaching and discipling and encouraging one another in this apostolic teaching because hell is real and judgment is real and death is real and there is a world perishing unless they hear the good news of Jesus Christ conquering these things. There are many conferences happening up and down the nation today. We gather because of the gospel. We gather because we care, I hope. We care for the state of this nation and the nations of the world. It's for the sake of the promise of life. And there are three major emphases that come through in this chapter as Paul is urging Timothy to guard the good deposit. The first is you're to honor your heritage. The second, you're to stir up the gift. And then the third, the overall theme, to guard the good deposit. And that's what we're gonna be looking at He says in verse three, I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day. Let's just pause there for a moment. I constantly remember you in my prayers. I have a, he says this before, I have a clear conscience. What a brilliant way to finish your race. Think about it, he's got a clear conscience and he's constant in prayer. Wow, constant in prayer. Paul coming to the end of his race, clear conscience before God, and he's constant in prayer. The apostle Paul was many things, great evangelist, great teacher, great leader, great preacher, but he was a mighty prayer warrior. He loved to pray, and he could say, I'm constant in prayer, night and day I'm praying. The story of this family of churches and the story of those who lead us is a commitment to prayer. It's what Terry Virgo has modeled over the decades. Constantly praying, gathering leaders to pray and to seek God. And one of the many things I love about being led by Guy is his commitment to prayer. Guy and Heather modeling to us as a family of churches the priority to pray. What does a praying person communicate? A praying person communicates a complete dependency upon God. A praying person communicates that other than God acting, I can't do these things. It was Terry who said, the church that doesn't pray is the church that says, do you know what? We don't need God for what we're doing. He's constant in prayer. And for us to honor our heritage is to recognize those things and to be committed also to doing it. He speaks about his ancestors. Of course, for the apostle Paul, he's he's thinking of the Israelites that have come before. He's thinking of the great heroes of the faith. He's saying, we're following on in their heritage. We're following on with the same message, with the same vision that has been given to them of the nations, of the great picture that Abraham was presented and he's speaking to Timothy, and he's reminding him of this heritage. He's reminding him of what's gone before. Now we're what's referred to as a new church movement. Pioneering is in our DNA as a family of churches. It's how we started many decades ago, honoring the work of God amongst us, going with faith, recognizing, A new wineskin was needed for this new wine that we were experiencing. And so men and women with great courage and faith started new churches. So pioneering is in our DNA. And so we are longing to continue to pioneer. But let me tell you, that doesn't mean that we neglect to honor our heritage and be grateful for where we've come from. And it's a very important principle of this chapter that we recognize as Paul's writing this final letter, he doesn't say to Timothy, hey, Timothy, it's over to you now, this is your moment. I want you to go and do your thing. I want you to find your vision, Timothy. I want you to find your way of of leading. I want you to find find your own convictions. I want you to, to, don't feel you have to be burdened by how I did things. It's not what he says. He says, I want you to guard what's been entrusted to you. He's actually saying, interestingly, he doesn't say, Timothy, I want you to lead. He says, I want you to guard. In essence, he's saying, I want you to be a really good follower. This is a leadership conference, but let us hear right from the outset Really, we're called to follow well. John Carson, I think, put it like this. He said, the first generation fights for orthodoxy, the second generation assumes orthodoxy, and the third generation loses it. Now, we are increasingly being led by second and third generations. And so, we need to encourage the honoring of our heritage, and we need to be encouraging the celebration of where we've come from. And so we shouldn't you know, get bored when we talk about the good old days, when we talk about the pioneering of new churches, when we talk about the things that the Lord put upon our hearts as a family of churches, when grace was restored, when the Spirit was poured out, when we stepped into charismatic worship, when we recognize the beautiful marriage of word and spirit given to the church, and we saw, by the grace of God, these things being worked out in our local churches, the moment we assume on these things, or we take these things for granted, we find ourselves in a precarious situation We're to honor our heritage and recognize the wonderful things that we have received. I'm so grateful. I was born into this family. I was raised in a godly home. I was given a vision for the church that excited me and grabbed my heart. I loved going to Stoneleigh. I loved sitting under the teaching of wonderful, godly men and women. I loved being in environments like this where people came and hugged me and prayed for me and spoke truth over me and encouraged me and, and, and challenged me. And I love that we haven't lost those things. And I love that in this room, we've got mums and dads, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. I am so grateful for where we've come from and where we are today. We're not a We're not to take these things for granted. We're to cherish them. The other thing he does is he calls Timothy Timothy, to think about heritage is he he mentions in verse five, he says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I love how Paul draws Timothy's attention to his mum and his nan who loved Jesus very much. I love that, that, that Paul points out the fact that this good deposit this promise of life for Timothy. This didn't begin actually with Paul, but it began with his mum and his grandmother faithfully teaching and modeling what faith in Jesus Christ looks like. I love how Paul and how the Bible honors godly women and godly mothers. If you think through the scriptures, you think of Sarah and Hannah, and you think of Ruth and Leah and Rahab, then you go through and you think of Mary and Elizabeth, and here we have Lois, and we have Eunice, and we are are given the example of godly mothers who raised incredible kids who went on to do mighty things for God. Now, it seems that Timothy's dad was Greek and not a believer. And yet, Timothy was privileged to have the mum and the grandmother that he had. And in our churches are many single mums. I can't begin to imagine how hard that must be. But we should encourage them, get alongside them, affirm them, love them, Talk to them about Lois and Eunice. Give them a vision for what God can do. As you go through the history of the church, you'll find this pattern repeats. St. Augustine, the great St. Augustine, was raised by a godly mum. John Newton, his dad was away with the Navy. His mum was a godly woman who trained him in the scriptures. He memorized scriptures and he went off and had a wild life of of sin, and then he comes back to faith, and he says, I remembered the scriptures my mom taught me. I remembered it, and you look at the transformation that occurred. You think of Spurgeon. His dad and grandfather were both preachers, but when you read his autobiography, he speaks about the influence of his mom, and he speaks about the truth that he learned from her. My wife's not here today. She's being a good mom, looking after four young kids, and I just wanna honor mothers and recognize how crucial they are, as God's word does too. He says, I remember your tears. It's interesting, I've been reading various commentaries on this verse, and why why is he recalling Timothy's tears in this moment? And various suggestions have been offered. I, I don't often have the courage to disagree with commentaries (laughs) but but i've the commentators are saying well timothy was was definitely a vulnerable guy it was definitely knew his weakness and 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 paul probably saw him crying quite a lot i actually don't think that's what's happening here i think the reason paul is recalling timothy's tears is linked to what he goes on to say where he says i recall your sincere faith and i want to just remind you of acts 20 Acts 20, Paul is giving a farewell discourse to the Ephesian elders, this church that he spent three years with, these leaders that he's invested in and trained, these leaders who he's now leaving. And again, he's doing a similar thing there that he's doing in 2 Timothy. And he's urging them, guard the good deposit. Keep preaching the gospel. Be aware of wolves. And this is what he says in verse 19. Uh, He says this, You know that from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. Then go over to verse um, 31. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I never stopped warning each of you with tears. Why is Paul recalling to these Ephesian elders, his tears. And why is Paul bringing to his own mind right now, Timothy's tears? I I think it's because he, he identified in his tears the true heartfelt passion he had for the gospel and for the people that the gospel is sent for. And as he recalls Timothy's tears, he's recalling the sincerity of his faith. He's recalling a man who really loved Jesus with his whole heart. I remember your tears and your sincere faith. He's not calling career church people. And when Jesus goes to Peter, after his betrayal, what's the question that he asks him three times? He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Why do we do what we do if it's not because of a profound love for Jesus Christ? A massive, heartfelt love for Jesus. Sincere faith. First Timothy begins in chapter one and verse five with Paul saying this, the goal of this command is love that issues from a sincere faith. It's love, it's love. We are not CEOs, directors, and managers. We are brothers and sisters adopted into our Heavenly Father's family, called by the Good Shepherd, We are those that have received the love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We are those who are called to bring God's love into a world that doesn't know it. We are to be besotted by the one who loved us to the cross, who loved us that much, a sincere faith. Timothy knew this. Next, let's think about this challenge that comes in verse six, therefore, In light of all that we've just been thinking, I remind you, rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Why would Paul feel the need to write this to Timothy? Rekindle the gift. Don't be ashamed. If Timothy wasn't himself, in quite a low place, maybe feeling quite discouraged, quite intimidated, quite overwhelmed. Timothy clearly struggling with his own inadequacy, struggling with the enormity of the task, struggling with the responsibility for gospel ministry and and, and thinking to himself, I'm not sure I can do this. Paul knew him very well. I wonder how many of you here have felt like giving up or even come here today feeling like that. Feeling like, I'm not sure I can really do this. We know from our history that many people come to events like these. Feeling like that, but not owning it. Tragically, aren't with us anymore. I don't know everyone's story in this room today or how you're coming, but the prophetic word aligns with this challenge. God sees your vulnerability. He sees you. He sees what's under the coat, he sees the struggles, he sees the sin, he sees the weakness, and he says, come to me, come to me. Uh, We know because we know the Bible that this is how God does it. God calls those who in their natural abilities cannot do what he's asked them to do. He can't, so whether it's Abraham in his old age, having a kid, whether it's Gideon, who no one respects, out in the field, told to lead the armies of God, whether it's David, who was called the runt, you name, whether it's Moses, who was out there as a murderer, you name me a biblical hero, and I'll show you their weakness. Your weakness is what qualifies you not what disqualifies you and it was tozer who said beware the christian leader who doesn't walk with a limp he doesn't call you because of how impressive you are he doesn't call you because of how well disciplined you are he doesn't call you because of how much scripture you've memorized he doesn't call you because of how articulate you may be he calls you because you're weak and he loves to show his strength and power in your weakness. So you are welcome here today if that's how you're feeling. And the Lord God wants you to know that. And I am grateful that God's willing to use weak people to achieve his purposes. Men like Timothy, who knew vulnerability and weakness, Here's the thing. If it's fear of man that's driving you, that will lead you to cowardice and a reliance on strength. But a fear of God leads to courage through a dependency upon him. So this is what Paul says. He's like, hey, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. The spirit that Timothy had received, who he's told, rekindle, stir up power. John Stott makes this comment, it's like there's this very kind of peculiar dichotomy in this this passage of divine sovereignty on the one hand and human responsibility on the other. So he, on the one hand, Timothy's told, stir it up. Come back, stir it up. And then he says, hey, by the way, there is grace before the beginning of time for you. There is, right, you and I need to, I found this so encouraging when I was like, oh God, my September's mental. <laughs> I feel so weak. And then I read this text and it was like, before the beginning of time, there was grace appointed for you. Seen in the appearing of Jesus Christ. What's Paul saying? Is like, no, 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 Jesus has done it. You've just got to declare what Jesus has done. You've got to point to how impressive he is. Don't worry about yourself. Point to Jesus and point to his greatness and what he has done and rely upon him and his power. Stir up the gift. Stir it up. I want us to lay hands on each other these coming days. Maybe we'll do it in a moment. The Lord God wants to stir up the gift within us. There is a great mission before us as a family of churches. There is a world that is dying and needs to hear the good news. And we are not gonna see anything unless it's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. We will not guard the good deposit unless it's done through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are unashamedly a people of word and spirit. We believe and love God's word but its power is realized through the work of the Holy Spirit among us. And our churches are churches of word and spirit. We have been referred to as reformed and charismatic. When we speak of being reformed, we speak of the theology of God's sovereignty. We we think of his gospel, the evangelical doctrines that we hold dear. think of what we've received in our heritage theologically. Then we think of being charismatic. We're a people that expects the Spirit of God to move and for the gifts of the Spirit to be evident. If there is one concern I do have for us in this moment, in this family and the wider New Frontiers family, it's that those two things have become too polarized. And that we found people going, do you know what, we're probably more reformed. And you've had others are going, Do you know what, we're probably a bit more, chari- we're more charismatic. And what's left is a big gap in the middle. As I think of our churches in 10, 15 years' time, I pray, oh Lord, may we be a Word and Spirit people. May we remain reformed with a high view of the, the Word of God and the doctrines that are associated with it. But may we hear tongues and interpretations and prophetic words and and may we see people healed and set free in our churches as well. Let us not get dry and let us not get liberal. Lord, keep us in this apostolic teaching. Stir up the gift that is within you. And then finally, guard the good deposit Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Spirit who lives within us. This is really the challenge of the whole letter as we're going to see. Guard what's been entrusted. And there's gonna be the temptation to shame and to distance ourselves from Paul and his teaching. So Paul tragically says, do you know what? I've been deserted, they've deserted me. How many have deserted Paul over the centuries? How many have said, do you know what, we do like, we love Jesus, but Paul's teaching deserted Paul. His, his, his appeal to Timothy, who it would seem is even maybe himself tempted to be ashamed of Paul and ashamed of Paul's suffering is don't be ashamed. On what basis then? Paul says, I know whom I've believed. That's the basis. It's how he starts. It's how he finishes in this chapter. I know whom I've believed. As he's in his cell and as he's in his dungeon, as he's got no congregation before him, as he's in chains, as he's gonna be dragged off to be beheaded at any moment, but does he know? he knows Jesus. I know him. I know who I believed. And this is my confidence. And this is my appeal. And this is my heart, he says, for Timothy and for this next generation. King Hezekiah is an interesting character. Don't worry, we're not going to do a whole study on Hezekiah right at the end. <laughs> He's a good king, but he makes some serious mistakes. And right at the end of his life, he brings the Babylonians into the temple of God and he shows the Babylonians all the riches, and he shows them everything. And the prophet comes to him and says, what have you done? How have you invited this alien people right into the heart of God and shown all the treasures of God? And the prophet says, consequently judgment is gonna come on the future generations. And do you know what Hezekiah does? He goes, what you said is fine, that's good. He doesn't go, oh, I'm so sorry, I repent. He goes, at least I'm gonna be okay, right? That's essentially what it does. At least I'm, phew, at least I'm gonna be okay. And then what happens? A couple of generations later, the Babylonians invade, the treasure is taken, and the exile happens. Right, here's the challenge to you and to me. On the key point. There we go. I Care about the next generation. Care about the good deposit. Care about apostolic teaching. Care about the gospel. Care more about the gospel than you do the numbers in your church or the numbers of churches in our movement. Care more about the message that we have. Care more about the promise of life in Christ Jesus. There's nothing I'd love more than for us to have hundreds of churches in tens of nations, as long as they're declaring Jesus Christ's victory over sin and death. Amen? Amen? Why don't we stand and invite the band to come? I just want to ask... If we would, just each of us, just before God, be vulnerable and real with where we reach at. If you feel inadequate for the things God has called you to, why don't you open your hands out to receive encouragement right now? I'd be surprised if anyone doesn't respond to that. (laughs) I'm I'm trying not to look, because I'm hoping no one has not got their answer. Right, if you feel like that, just be real before God. Your weakness qualifies you for ministry. Your sense of inadequacy qualifies you. But you're not left there. Now stir up the gift within you. Receive the spirit of power, love, and sound judgment. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you taught your disciples, that that your Father loves to give the Holy Spirit When he's asked for. And you're a good father. So, Lord, over these days, this is our big, big, big ask. Would you send your Holy Spirit upon your people? Would you fill us anew with your power? Lord, we can't do these things in our own strength. We're naturally timid. But we thank you, the Spirit of God is one of great power, a power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave. And it's this wonderful person, the Holy Spirit among us today, that will enable us to go forward confident that from one generation to the next, the good deposit will be well guarded and the gospel will be well guarded and that the message of victory over sin and death will be declared to the nations of the world. And Lord Jesus... We ask in your holy name, would you be glorified, amen.